We love you guys. Uh, let me just pray for you, and then I'll give you the mic. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for Andy and Anwin, and as they share what's on their hearts with us this morning, give us ears to hear, and yeah, um, we pray that you would anoint every word they speak. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Great. Can we grab another one? Is that all right? Can I invite Amanda? She's just going to come and read. And um, you might want to be turning in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 8 at verse 23. And then I'll be moving on to Matthew 14, starting at verse 22. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Thank you very much. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, Thank you for having us over and giving us this chance to formally say goodbye. Uh, This church has certainly been um, incredibly important to us in our faith journey, and we're really grateful for all that God has done through you and all that he's done in us uh, during our time of leading at King Centre and obviously uh, in Network Church Sheffield. Um, Today, what we're going to do is uh, carry on the sermon series that you're looking at, Walking in the Footsteps of Jesus, and we've been given the title of Living a Life of Faith and Choosing Obedience. Throughout history, and as you look at the Bible, what you see is people who've struggled with obedience. Have a little watch of this. Whose idea was this? 
Did you think this was a good idea? Look at brother's face. Who got the paint out? Brother did? How did no? How'd he get it? He what? He built the stairs. He built the stairs? Yes, did he? With what? With blocks. With blocks? Yes, he built the stairs, did he? How come you didn't tell him no? Who's the big brother? You are. How come you didn't tell him no? That wasn't a good idea. Huh? That's great. Brilliant. So you get the point. I, I never once sat down with my kids and taught them how to hit one another. You know, just somehow within each of us, we, we have this tendency in us to uh, not do that which is right. And the Bible's very real about this. It's full of examples right from the beginning with Adam and Eve who disobey God. They don't follow him. Even amazing characters like Moses who's used to deliver a whole nation Actually, he didn't get into the promised land because, again, he didn't obey fully what God was saying. King David, held up as the one who had his heart after God, committed adultery and brought murder in as a result of that. This is the human condition. And Jesus comes into the human condition as the one who can show us God's way of doing things. As we read that scripture um, time and time again, what I've been reminded of over the last few months is God's call to his people away from idols. Um, And we did a sermon series um, in the first term of this academic year at King Centre and we focused on what does it mean to be worshipping idols rather than Jesus. And the nub of it was this. If you need to check with something before you're obedient, that thing is an idol in your life quite challenging. I used to think that obedience was just about right or wrong, about black and white behavior, that um, if something was right, then I was being obedient. So if I tithed, then I was obedient. If I gave a word to someone when I wasn't very confident about whether it was God or not, that was me being really obedient. If I spent time with God in a structured way, That was me being obedient. But all of those things are about the external behavior. And the problem with that is that it can become religion. And in my mind, I hadn't realized quite how much I'd kind of paralleled obedience with religion. But as I started to reflect over the last few months on the life of Jesus and his obedience, I discovered a new perspective Jesus shows us that obedience is about posture. It's about the internal position of our hearts towards the Father. In obedience, Jesus was willing to be sent from the Trinity in perfect love and relationship and come to earth. In obedience, he grew up under earthly parents and he was obedient to those parents. 
He had a normal job. He earned a living. And he was obedient to the system and setup of earth, even though he wasn't from here. He started a ministry at the time the father said, now. And he was baptized out of obedience. He ministered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he said himself that he only did what he saw the father doing. And he walked towards Jerusalem, telling his disciples that he was going to suffer in many ways. And his ultimate act of obedience was that he went to the cross, which we've just remembered at Easter. And every time I reflect or I watch the passion and I see those visual images, I'm reminded of the obedience of Jesus. That act of completeness towards his father. It says in Philippians 2 that Jesus became a slave, a doulos, a love slave to his father. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you give up your life? Why would you go to the cross like that? Because he trusted and he loved his father. The posture of Jesus' life was about meekness. It's not a word that we use very often in our culture. It's not used loads in the Bible. But when Jesus was on um, the hillside and he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meekness is about living underneath a covering. It's about believing that you're living under a father who loves you. Again, in Matthew 6, Jesus talked about provision. Do you remember when he said about do not worry? Do not worry about today. Uh, tomorrow, sorry, because today has enough problems of its own. And he's talking about provision and looking to the father for everything we need. Well, he says in there, do not seek after the things of the world like the pagans do, it says. Or in other translations, it says, like the Gentiles do. Why does he say that? Because the pagans and the Gentiles didn't know they had Father God. And what he was saying to the hearers and the listeners around him was this, live like you have a father. It also says in that passage in Philippians, the word obedient, when it talks about Jesus being obedient and laying down his life, That word obedient in the Greek means attentively listening. Attentively listening to every whisper. And not just listening, but then following. You see, obedience comes directly from relationship. You cannot trust what you don't know. The life of faith and obedience is one of trust. Jesus trusted his father. So even when he was called to lay everything down and to go to the cross, even when in the garden it felt so much for him that he was knelt there in prayer saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's too hard. Yet not my will, but yours be done, was his final prayer to the father and then he chose to do what his father was calling him to it's the same for us our obedience 
or our lack of it is a key reflection of our relationship and our ability to trust God. How we deal with our money, whether we submit to the boss at work, our lifestyle choices, they're all an overflow of obedience from the posturing of our heart. Are you living like you have a good father? In all of this life of faith, it's about love that leads us. Incredible, faithful love. And God hasn't changed the way that he works. You know, just as Jesus lived and postured his life to be attentive continually to the Father, to live from that place of love, to live out of the overflow of that love, to have that deep radical trust, he invites us to do the same. He invites us to be those who will choose to look up and to receive that love afresh and to know afresh that he's going to lead us. And and even when we don't understand, he will lead us in the same kind of ways. It, It is through death and resurrection We're called as disciples to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross and to follow. That's been our experience. And God is interested in this relationship with us and whether we will listen to him, whether we'll pursue him. He made it really clear that this is what he's going to do. And he's excited about leading us to freedom But what we need to remember is he's a good father and he's also a good gardener. There are times where a good gardener will come in and prune and bring discipline. And there's other times where he'll encourage the growth. So I want to look at, um, as Amanda read to us, the two storms. I want to look at those two storms because they're different examples of how Jesus trained his disciples In the first storm, it was all about learning how to have faith and to overcome. So the context here, Jesus had preached the best message ever, the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And then just after that, he went, oh, by the way, guys, um, if you're wise, you won't just listen to those words. You'll actually put them into practice. Uh, And if you're foolish, yeah, you've listened to the words but you're not going to put them into practice, yeah? And the reality is, the wise ones, they're the lives that are going to stand. And when the storms come, they're going to be the ones where the house that is built remains. Jesus shows authority to his disciples over sickness. Do you remember the guy, the leper who comes, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean, and releases healing power into him. And the guy's totally cleansed, life completely transformed. Just after that, the centurion comes to him, you can heal my servant just by speaking a word. And Jesus said, you've believed it, so go, go. You believed it. What you have believed is how it will be done. And then he says to the disciples, we're off to the other side, guys. Now, I don't know if he'd got revelation from the father that there was a few jobs to do on the other side. They were heading into Gentile territory. 
Um, I don't know whether the father had shown him or whether he knew about it from the local news reports that there were these incredibly violent men on the other side, incredibly demonized. But basically, Jesus knows he's on the father's mission. He's got, still got more stuff to do. He gets into the boat. He's like, all right, guys, you take the boat. I'm off to sleep. And in the midst of this, this mission that he's on, this incredible storm comes up. See, the enemy wants to oppose you. When you're on God's mission, he will oppose you. And the enemy uses storms to try and stop you. In the midst of this ministry, Jesus tired. He'd been doing a bunch of stuff. The enemy decides he wants to drown Jesus and put an end to this. Jesus is so sure that the father's told him this is what we're going to do. He's just like, whatever, it's off to sleep. And he proves that he has absolute peace by being able to. The disciples are terrified. They have to wake him up. And Jesus gets up and just goes, shh. And the wind obeys and the storm stops immediately. And he proves that he has authority over nature. So Jesus here is walking with his disciples and training them and teaching them that he's got authority over sickness. He's got authority over leprosy. He's got authority over demons. He goes on to say to someone, your sins are forgiven. But everyone's going, how the heck can he do that? And he goes, oh, by the way, pick up your mat and walk. And he totally heals him from being paralyzed, causes him to stand up because he's proving he has authority over sin. And did you pick up the phrases in the passages? Oh, you of little faith. Little faith ones. He's coaching them. He's training them. He's teaching them. Come on, guys. Get with the program. They're very quiet in here. Have you noticed this? don't know what it is. Just time out. That's one type of storm you can encounter. It's one where the enemy's coming against you. He's trying to train you. Jesus is trying to train you in the midst of this. God is trying to train you to go, do you know what? It's just the enemy. Stand up. Take authority over the storm. We're going to the other side. That's the deal. Come on. Disciples are there of little faith. There's another storm. This other storm in Matthew chapter 14, the context of this is it's been pretty tough for Jesus. He's just gone back home. And um, do you know what? I just want to say this to encourage you. If it's tough in life, don't think it's because you've done something wrong. Because it was tough for Jesus at times. Yeah? He hadn't done something wrong. He was just at home, but they, they wouldn't believe in him. They were offended at him. And what it says there is that he couldn't do many miracles. Shortly after that, his cousin gets beheaded. This is not great. They really are asleep. (laughs) Blimey. I, I don't know how you'd feel in the midst of this stuff, but Jesus decides he's off for a retreat, okay? But he can't get on retreat because there's thousands of people turning up who are incredibly needy. And and he's there to heal them, to help them. Unfortunately, they didn't bring any food. 
There's only five loaves and two fish. So he's also got that job to do. Yeah? But in the midst of this tiredness and massive need, Jesus postures his heart before the Father. Father, what do you want to do? Ah, okay. And he multiplies out the food because the Father is not in lack. And the people get fed. Jesus still decides he needs a retreat because all these guys have ruined it. So uh, he sends the disciples off in the boat. And um, he goes off to be with the Father and, and to pray and to hang out and to just let his heart be healed and realign himself. And the disciples end up being in this storm where the wind has come against them. And they're being battered and they can't break through. They can't get there. And, and this is a type of storm. I don't know what was going on in their heads. I don't know whether they're doing, hold on a minute, we've done 101. That was storms. Right. What we need to do is take authority over this storm. Storm go in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Miracle. Oh, it didn't work. So they were getting a bit more attentive. I noticed a few smiles. They're waking up. It didn't work. It's still coming. The wind and the waves are still coming. Because there's some storms that are a bit different. I know this storm is different because even when Jesus had been with the Father, he sees their battling and he, he knows, okay, I'm going to go to them. Because God's good like that. He comes to find us in the midst of storms. It's really, really cool if you think about it. You know, he walks out to them. The storm hadn't died down. It was still blowing a gale, but Jesus knows how to walk through storms. He just kept walking. And he walks out to where they are. I, I love the Bible, how God really doesn't mind when we experience emotion. Have you noticed this? So just like, you know, we were thinking about the resurrection the other day. All the disciples gathered in the upper room, yeah? They're terrified because they know Jesus has just been killed. They've got no idea what's going to happen to them. They're all in this panic mode. And just to add to the tension, Jesus walks through the wall! He doesn't mind it if we go, Wah! Thanks a lot. Here they are in this boat. They can't stop the storm. Jesus isn't stopping the storm. But he goes to meet them in compassion. And they think, what the heck is that? Because people don't walk on water. It must be a ghost. Fair reasoning. Jesus turns up and he says to them, have courage. Literally, the Greek means, cheer up. Yeah? Some of you are starting to do that. It engages this bit. Yeah? Cheer up. Have courage. In the midst of this storm, Peter's like, I don't know what's going on here, but if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come. I love that. 
I love that about Peter. That Peter goes, all right. Jumps out. You know, I don't know whether he thought he was going to swim or what. I don't know. But he gets out and it's like, whoa, I'm walking towards him. This is amazing. And he's going towards Jesus. Jesus is right there. And then it says he sees the wind. Interesting phrase. How do you see the wind? It reminds me of Jesus saying, talking about the Holy Spirit, the wind blows where it wants. It reminds me of Pentecost when the presence of God fell powerfully on those timid disciples. And it describes a roaring, rushing wind. Interesting phrase, the wind blows. Peter goes, what the heck is that? Starts to sink down and goes, help. Jesus reaches out, immediately catches hold of him and picks picks him up. In the midst of this kind of storm that doesn't go away, God comes to you and he says, come, come to me, come nearer. There are storms which don't go away. No amount of prayer or authority can bring peace because the Father wants to use this kind of storm to train you, to take you deeper into his presence to train you in trusting him. And it's this kind of storm that has been our testimony for the last 10 months or so. Having heard um, God through a prophetic word in 2015 through somebody called Isabel Allen, who somebody, some of you might know, um, at the end of the word that she gave us, she said one throwaway sentence. God is opening up for you a new location where the well of Isaac will be your inheritance in the land. And we thought, she's got that one wrong. And um, six months later, God started to stir our hearts towards just the possibility that we might not be living in Sheffield for the next 20 years, which was what our plan was. And over the next several months, year, years, years, We were listening attentively. We were prayerful. We wrote anything down that God said to us. And by last summer, we were convinced that God was calling us to move our family to South Carolina. Which is why he wants to hear more from you when you're listening to a sermon. Because over there, when you preach, what you get back is lots of amens and lots of preach it brothers or preach it sisters so that's what he's looking for I'm just telling you for his next section Um, so we went out last summer our, our final part of testing whether this was the place that God we felt God was calling us to was to take our family there because this whole decision for us was not about Andy and Anwin it was about Andy, Anwin, Caleb, Toby and Ellie And if we had gone there, genuinely, if we had gone there and our kids had said, I don't want to be here, because we'd tried other options and we'd gone to other places and they'd said that, we would have said this wasn't the place that God was calling us to. But every one of our children thrived. They had a fantastic time. They felt really welcomed in. And even within that holiday time, somebody 
miraculously provided us a home in South Carolina, which we get to choose or we have chosen. And we thought, this is amazing. God is in this. He's given us all these prophetic words. He's given us his provision of a house. Hooray! Life is on the up. And then we got back to Sheffield. And then the wind started to whip up around us. We thought that we would be there in January. And so because of our personal integrity, we felt very early on from coming back, we needed to talk to the leaders, the board, our church, and said, we love you guys, but God's calling us out of Sheffield and this is where he's taking us. We put our house on the market and then we waited. And then we waited. And then we waited. And then we got a little bit stressed. And then I got really anxious. And then we waited some more. And by January, we realized we were not going to be there in January. We were probably not going to be there in June. The visa process took a long time to get submitted. And no matter how much we prayed or fasted or strived or took authority, the flipping storm would not stop. And what happened, I don't know if you've ever made dough, is it was like our hearts. You know when you you make dough and it gets really pliable and then you pull it, like pizza dough, yeah? And you pull it and you pull it and you pull it and you pull it. And it kind of gets transparent. And that was what was happening to our hearts. We were being stretched and stretched and stretched. And every time God was saying, I am with you. Rest in me. You have to trust me. Okay, God. Okay, God. But what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about, what about? Sleepless nights, anxiety weekends. You know, I don't know if you've ever been fishing, but when you get a fish and you catch it, when it first comes out of the water, it kind of flops all over the place. I only know this because I have a son who loves fishing. I do not love fishing. And it flops all over the place. And then it kind of gives up. And then it flops again all over the place. And then it gives up. And then it flops a bit more. Do you know what I'm talking about? A few of you do. Okay. We were still in that flopping all about thing. Trying to trust and then going back to anxiety. Trying to trust and then going back. And it got to February. And I was reading the word. And this is what Jesus said to me. Your life has died, Anwin. Give up. It's hidden in me. Give up. Now that doesn't sound like good news. But do you know what God has done? Through some of the flopping and going back, but mainly through the surrendering, we live with peace in uncertainty. You know, I have to say that nearly on a daily basis at the moment, people ask me, so when are you going to America? And I have to take a deep breath and go, Well, only God knows the answer to that because we've sold our house and we've given up our job and yeah, and we're waiting and we're still waiting for a visa and we're still hoping for the summer 
and our kids start school there on the 13th of August, which was another miraculous provision from God. But uh, we can't actually get there until this piece of paper comes. And, you know, some people go, oh, right. You're mad. What are you doing? And Jesus keeps saying to me, trust me, Anwin. Trust me. We don't often preach together. No, I, I'm norm- normally the one that keeps the script. I'm keeping to, I'm doing really <laughs> well today. Normally I go off piste. You can check it later. So the verse that Amwin just referred to there is Galatians 2, verse 20, and it says this. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loves us. He doesn't send these things into our life for any other reason than because of love. Because he's drawing us deeper. And as we got to this place of surrender, it was really interesting because that week, our house sold. That week, the visa got submitted to the American immigration. That week, our school places start to come up in America as we surrendered. There's something about, God, I'm not in charge. Actually, I'm dead. You're in charge. The life I live is now yours. What do you want to do? You're in charge. In that place of surrender, we found peace and we found joy again because it's not about us. It's about our heavenly dad who's really, really good. And he wants to meet us in the place. Obedience is posture. It's surrendering. It's saying, I want to be a slave to love. I'm trusting you because you love. And anything that's happening, you're over and above, and it's your love that is going to lead. And I can be in joy. That's what he wants for us. So this morning, I want to invite you to respond. God wants us free. Some of these storms come and hit our lives to expose the insecurities and to invite us to let go of them, to hear afresh the voice of Jesus, come to me, trust me. And so this morning, I want to invite you to surrender afresh to the Father, to let him show you if there's areas in your life where you feel insecure, whether it's about security or provision, whatever it is. Maybe fear has hindered you from stepping out and going for it in something that he's saying to you. I want to suggest to you this morning, rather than trying to protect yourself, listen out for that invitation. Come to me and learn afresh this morning how to posture your heart 
If you want to respond to that, I'm not going to invite you forward, but I am going to invite you to stand. Maybe you feel like there's a storm going on in your life. Um, maybe you feel like, actually, do you know what? I need to do this. I need to, I need to just surrender that and get back into that posture again. If that's you, just where you are now, stand up. I also um, just want to share with you that I think naturally I'm quite a fearful person. Um, I was a fearful child. But in Christ, he's making me a courageous woman of God. And that's not in my strength, that's in his power. So if you really want to receive courage and boldness today, I just want to encourage you to stand as well, especially if you're a woman. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place and we thank you for your word, Jesus. And we thank you that you know our hearts and you know how to disciple us and how to lead us and how to love us to transformation and to freedom. And we just welcome you now. We welcome your presence. We welcome you to just cut off the heavy burdens and shackles that stop us from being obedient to you and from following you into all that you have for us. Lord, the fear that stops us from saying yes to you. We just say no more of that in the name of Jesus. And we release into our own spirits the truth that you are always with us, that you will never leave us and that you will never fail us, that we are with you for all eternity. And that is the greatest promise we could ever have. We just welcome that spirit of courage and boldness to step out into the new things. And I just, I just feel like there's people here that have tried that. They've tried to do the new thing and it didn't work. And I feel like today he's saying, take courage. Don't be afraid. Come to me. I've given you that spirit that wants to go after the new. Come, attentively listen afresh. Father, this morning we give you control. We hand over those things that have come against us, those things that are too heavy. cry out like Peter did, Lord, save me. Lord, would you take our hand now? And I thank you that we never have to walk alone. Thank you that there is no better friend than you. You're worth more than everything in this world. So we fix our eyes afresh on you this day, Jesus. And we surrender. We say it isn't about me. Or what I want. Or what I need. I, I lay down my agenda. And I give it to you afresh. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He who did not spare his own son, 
but gave him up for you, how will he not also along with him freely give you all things? And Lord, I pray joy. Come on. Lord, even in the midst of the storms and everything that goes on in life, thank you. You win. Hallelujah. Let faith arise. Let obedience rise up in our hearts as sheer joy. We say, yes, breathe afresh. Spirit of God, come. Let your fire fall afresh like you've invited us to stand in it, Lord. Let your power, your goodness from this day lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.